Good morning, friends. How you doing today? Are you excited about being in the house of the Lord today? What a great day for worship. Isn't God good? We have reasons to complain. I ask you, I'll ask folks, how you doing? I no complaints. Well, I could complain, but no one's listening. Um, and, and so I get that. But man, praise the Lord, we have a good God. And He has demonstrated that for us in so many different ways. Most namely, sending His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So, so glad uh, that, that we can all be together today if you're visiting with us for the first time. And uh, if you want to, we're not trying to uh, ramrod this you doing this, there is, you'll notice, we try to be high-tech rednecks here. There's a, a, a little square. If you take out your phone and open up the camera app and take a picture of it, it should kind of uh, open up into a website. You'll find that there's a bulletin there. If you scroll down to the bottom, um, you can fill out a digital connection card. Uh, and same online. If you're watching, you can uh, take a picture of the one on the screen, or there is a link in the description. Um, I don't have many announcements today. There is, I believe, youth meeting tonight. Yes? No, that got changed. That got changed. Okay. So there is no youth meeting tonight. Uh, we will have um, our regular time tonight. Um, this afternoon at 2 o'clock, there is a baby shower for the expected new baby girl of Michael Sturgeon. And so that will be today at 2 o'clock in the fellowship hall. And if you hadn't had a chance to get anything, uh, you can find selections and the registries at Walmart and on Amazon. If you've got more questions, just talk to Terry, James, Michael, any one of them will point you in the right direction. But other than that, I don't know any other announcements to make at this time. Does anyone else have announcements we need to make? I'm looking at all the usual suspects that usually keep me straight and tell me what to do, and no one's raising their hand. So... Um, then I would add, okay, again, not listening. What? Yes, we're going to pray for the youth at the end of the service, but thank you very much, Ms. Bond. All right. Well, let's stand, and I want to um, lead us in a call to worship. I'll read the first screen, and then you join with me, and we'll read the second screen together. It's from Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's worship together.
Go ahead and switch to the next slide, Joel. Shout to the north. Hang on just a second. We had to change some things this morning, so it's... Well, let me just teach this to you. It's not in there. Can you go help Joel change that right quick? Okay. Ignore the screen. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Ignore the man behind the screen. Right? Um, I'm going to sing this over you. I'm going to sing the chorus over you while they get that put in there. Uh, this is a song called Shout to the North. And I just want to sing this over you. And uh, this is what we do when we glorify God. Again, of our God reigns on high. 
a few weeks ago, we um, watched a video about the Hope Factory. Um, so we can, as a church, and you may or may not know what all goes on with the Hope Factory. I'm not even sure I know what all goes on with the Hope Factory. So much is going on over there. But when Mary Catherine made her last trip, she came back and she said, why don't we just do some videos on Sunday morning so more of the church knows. So two weeks ago, we watched a video, uh, and I hope you were encouraged by it. Um, um, if you're, like, I know some of you, you're not regular attenders of our church, or you may not have been with us long enough to know what the Hope Factory is. It's a ministry that John and Mary Catherine uh, Holly started over in Kenya, and our church was on the ground floor of that ministry. Um, and so um, we occasionally, uh, at times of the year that we're accustomed to as Baptists, we have um, mission emphases. And, and this is not particularly a mission emphasis as much as it is um, when we have those times of the year when we have those mission emphases, we hear from our, our, uh, this, the, the organizations that we send our money to, we hear from them. And, and we do give, as a church, $500 a month to Hope Factory. And I know a lot of you also send from, you know, from your own um, offerings um, there. So I just want you to know, um, again, what the Lord is doing over there. And so this morning we have uh, another video. So enjoy and be encouraged. Since the Hope Factory was founded in 2011, it has been our goal to speak the name of Jesus in Kenya. We have spoken his name to our students, um, especially now through the Rafiki curriculum that we've been able to provide for them, teaching a classical Christian curriculum with a biblical worldview. We have spoken his name through our teachers as we have equipped them to um, teach this curriculum. And we are speaking his name through our School of Theology, preparing the pastors to go back to their congregations and speak the name of Jesus. This is Nancy Mwanzi. We found Nancy along with her two younger sisters living in the slums of Nairobi when we first went there in 2012. They had come with their dear friend Nutrin along with two million others seeking jobs, a better life, daily food, and hope for the future only to find poverty, hopelessness, and starvation. Nancy was a young widow with a young child Caroline, Esther, and Neutron were single. They were all high school graduates with no training, but with hearts to serve others. They constantly spoke the name of their Savior. We were able to rescue them and bring them into our organization, eventually furthering their education, with three of them becoming certified teachers. Nancy earned a certificate in catering and manages our kitchen staff and meal planning, providing nutritious meals for children who would probably have none at all if they weren't coming to our school. 
Nancy has raised her son, Robin, and he has just completed high school. Caroline, Esther, and Neutron are now married with children of their own. We praise God for what he has done in their lives. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus I just want to speak the name of Jesus Till every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Your name is power Your name is healing Your name is life Break every stronghold Shine through the shadows
you'll take out your copy of God's Word. If that don't get your fire going, you need to meet our Jesus. Turn to Psalm 115. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him, but their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak, eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear, noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and that so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. Let's stand together. Joel, we're going to skip to the next song. God, we come before you this morning confessing that you are worthy of glory and honor and praise. And Jesus, we just want to speak your name this morning.
And all will see how great, how great is our God. Sing that again. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see. Jesus, you are name above all names. You are worthy to be praised. And we come to you this morning saying that we have nothing higher to speak than your name, Jesus. Oh, the mystery and the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ, that we do not deserve, but was given to us freely. We pray that this morning, Jesus... God, Holy Spirit, that you would infiltrate our hearts and that you would make us more like you for your glory and your honor forever and ever. And all God's people say, If you would please take your copy of God's Word. Turn to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, we will finish up 1 Timothy uh, this morning. Uh, we'll look at the last three verses. So if you would turn there. Uh, it's, it's funny. Uh, this last week, Stephanie asked me, so what are we contending for this Sunday? Um, if you don't get that, every sermon has had the word contending in it. Um, but she wanted to know, what is it we're contending for this week? Um, sorry about that. I just needed to get my iPad to figure out that it was sermon time. <laughs> so um, while you're turning there to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, I just wanted to say um, we had to call an audible this morning on the music. And so, so that's why uh, things might have not gone as smoothly as, as it usually does. Our team back there does a great job, but sometimes um, it just... Things just happen, and, and I, if it's any operator error, it's mine because I've tried to get everything situated. So nothing on those guys. They always do a great job. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This is 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16, and this is God's Word. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray. Father, we do need to um, focus our eyes upon the person and work of our Savior. And especially as, um, as it affects us as individuals and as a church. Because uh, we realize that, that Paul is writing to Timothy to contend for the faith 
um, there in, in Ephesus to contend for the household of God, which is the redeemed, uh, those that are blood-bought by the precious blood of the Lamb, who've been given the great privilege of being your representatives in the world. And so we realize, especially in our day and age, how crucial it is for us to contend for the household of God. And so we pray, Father, that through this message, through your scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit, impressing this truth upon our hearts, that we might see how crucial it is, what, what it is we're here to do, how important it is to protect uh, what is done here from, from the enemy's uh, influences so that we can hold up the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, um, Paul is, is, as are many New Testament letter writers, um, fond of getting to a particular point in their letter where they will make some sort of transition. Maybe some sort of little maybe summary before they transition into another part of the letter. And Paul in verses 14 through 16 is doing that kind of thing. He's, he's in some ways summarizing what it is he has been talking about uh, in the first three chapters. And, and then he uses this time again to point Timothy and, and furthermore the church back to the great common confession that we all hold. And, and I know when, when I say the word confession, that, that means that almost has the sound um, as if we're um, not, not Baptist, you know, because, because we, we're not confessional people. Um, I, don't hear a, a negative tone in that. Um, I, I understand Baptist history and that we um, have often said no creed but the Bible but yet we pull a Baptist faith and message from the Bible and we say that's our statement of faith. So, um, But this is a common confession that we find in this verse. And it's a common confession that, that serves a particular purpose especially in what it is Paul's doing in writing this letter to Timothy. And so I'm, I'm going to preach three points and, and there are three phrases that all make one, one total phrase. So if you're a person who wants to know everything up front, I'm sorry you don't get the whole phrase until the very end. But you'll play well with others, I'm sure. First part of the phrase I want to share with you. Paul is saying here, there is a standard of conduct. There is a standard of conduct. Now verses 14 and 15, he says, Paul says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case... I am delayed. I write so that you will know. Now, I think we can all see from the text here that Paul's saying, Timothy, I'm not with you, and, and, and there's some things that I need you to know and I want you to know, so I'm writing this just in case I'm delayed. Now, I don't know about you, but aren't you glad that Paul wrote this? I mean, he just he thought, this is so crucial, this is so important, I can't, I've got to stop what I'm doing, and I've got to write this letter, and I've got to get it to Timothy. Because what he is doing there is such a crucial work. And so Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, I write so that you will know. Now in the Greek, there is a word, a, a preposition, uh, that 
uh, is translated in the text, so that. Why do I bring that up? Just simply to say that Paul is writing for a particular purpose. That's what this, this preposition indicates. So that. Here's the purpose. So Paul is saying, I write for this purpose. So that you will know. So that you will know. Not that so you might know, but so that you will know, and Paul continues, how one ought. Now, we use that word ought in different ways. I ought to go on more of a diet, but I like banana pudding. So that's to me. Uh, somebody might say, you know, Pastor, here's a possibility, here's a suggestion to consider. You might want to slim down a little bit. you got the turkey neck going on. That's not what Paul means here. Paul's not saying, here's a possibility or a suggestion to consider. When he says how, how one ought, he means how one is obligated. What that comes from is a Greek verb, day. And the Greek verb used here comes from a family of words that comes from one, a family of words and other verbs that come from this main Greek verb, deo. And that basically means to tie or to bind. Paul's saying, you're obligated to this. You're tied to this. You're bound to this. I'm writing to you, Timothy, so people know, so one knows that they are obligated. They are bound and he continues to conduct himself. Now, this is pretty easy to understand, but just to flesh it out, just a touch. He's speaking of a behavior, a, a living in a certain manner, a pattern or a way of life that is informed by guiding principles. And it is outward. It is observable, both inside the church when we're together like this, Paul would say, or even outside the church. It is an everyday, every way pattern of living that corresponds to knowledge of the living God and is approved by the living God. So I think we can see up to this point, Paul has been saying all along, there is a standard of conduct. There's a standard of conduct for teachers in the church. They must teach according to Scripture, not as verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1 say. They must not teach strange doctrines, nor pay attention to myths or endless genealogies. Teachers must not engage in fruitless discussions. Teachers, verse 7, they must understand what they're saying and the matters about which they make confident assertions. As chapter 1, verse 8 says, teachers must use the law Lawfully. So there's a standard of conduct for teachers in the church. There's also a standard of conduct for dealing with the wayward in the church. Because that's what Paul had left, had told Timothy, you stay there. There are some wayward people in the church, some elders that are teaching strange doctrines and contend for the faith. But as you do that, remember, there's a standard of conduct for how you contend for the faith. You contend with grace and gospel courage. 
You contend knowing that the ground from which you are fighting is good ground. You don't have to try to find someplace else from which to fight. The doctrine that we have is received. We didn't conceive of it ourselves. It comes with apostolic authority. So don't budge. Especially, Timothy, there's a standard of conduct for dealing with the wayward that you are reminded don't give in to false doctrine that can damn a person's soul or destroy a church. There's a standard of conduct for prayer. Verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2, Timothy says, basically, if I could sum it up, that there are all kinds of prayers that God's people should make for all kinds of people serving in all kinds of places, all for the express purpose of so God's people can flourish and God's word can go forth. There's a standard of conduct for prayer. There's a standard of conduct, and he emphasizes the men in verse 8 of chapter 2. He tells them especially, when you lift up holy hands to pray, pray without wrath and dissension. So there's a standard of conduct for prayer. We don't pray knowing that there's an issue between ourselves and a brother and expect God is just going to fall all over himself to honor our prayers. The men also have, in this particular section, an an obligation to ensure that there is order in the church so that, as Paul will later say to the women, I want you to learn. But the men are, are, are responsible, as Paul says here, for making sure that there's an order in the church that allows women to learn. And when the women come, there's a standard of conduct. Verses 9 through 15 of chapter 2. They're supposed to wear clothing that doesn't distract from the worship service. It's not to be too showy or too revealing. They're to respect the order of the church by learning quietly. They're to not teach or exercise authority over men. There's a standard of conduct. There's a standard of conduct for the elders and the deacons. In in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3, Paul says that, that elders, overseers... They're to serve the church. They're to be, a, be men of godly character at home and at church. They're to teach and preach. For deacons, it's in, in verses 8 through 13, it's, it's basically the same, except they're not um, called like the elders, the overseers, to, to teach. Deacons are to serve the church, be men of godly character at home, in public, and at church. But in verse 15, notice what Paul says. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to act, how to conduct himself in the household of God. So now he addresses members, how one ought to conduct himself at home and in public and at church. I think we can all agree that that the character requirements that Paul lists in verses uh, 1 through 13 for elders and deacons, I'm talking the character qualities, not the must be able to teach. Those apply to every Christian. Every Christian. So, to sum up this point, there is a standard of conduct for everyone in the church. And listen, it's not just expedient to conduct ourselves in this way, but imperative. That we live in light of God's revealed will. There is a standard of conduct. But secondly, there's a standard of conduct for God's standard bearer. 
Now, what is a standard bearer? Standard bearer simply just means representative. There's a friend of mine that I coached with. We, we haven't seen Rob in a long time. But I remember going over to Rob's, Rob's house. And, and above his door frame, as you were going out, it had the name Kirk up there. And he told Stephanie and I one time that he, <clears throat> he always told his children before they left the house... He pointed to that that name on the wall and he said, remember what your name is. In other words, as you go out this door, you will be a standard bearer for the name of Kirk. And and that's us. We are a standard bearer for the name of Christ. We're not just another organization. And Paul makes that clear in how he describes the church in three short phrases. The first phrase is this. He calls the church the household of God. You see that there in verse 15. Now most translations will actually translate that Greek word household. Only a few say house. And it's important that they do because house has a sense of you're talking about a a building. All the things that go into a particular building. Paul is in a sense referring to a building, but but at the same time, he's not. He's referring to more than the building. He's referring to the family who lives there. And this is why household of God is actually a better translation. Now, Paul talks about the church as the household of God in other ways in other sections of Scripture. Now, it doesn't mention household, but um, you get the sense uh, here in in 1 Corinthians 3.16... That it's God's house. Do you not know that you are? And he's, that you is it's plural. It's not just individual. It's not just singular. It's plural. He's writing to the church. Telling the church at Corinth. Don't all of y'all realize that you're the temple of God. And that the spirit of God dwells in y'all. If Paul was a hillbilly. He would translate it that way. So we are the temple of God, the household of God. He says later in Ephesians 2, 19 to 21, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, part of His family, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building... So you can see he he can talk about household and building. In whom the whole building, this temple, this household being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Now this next verse, I think, helps us to understand why it is so important for us to contend for the household of God. That we not drift in our doctrine or practice. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 6.16, Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Earlier James prayed that the Lord would be here with us. And I know what he means. He he is here with us. Make, Make no doubt about it. But there are times when God can just manifest his presence in ways that you know we've been in the presence of God. Amen. That's what I believe James is is praying for. But you come here every Sunday morning and God is here. 
And what do we bring in with us? I think that's why Paul is saying there is a standard of conduct. We are the temple of the living God. We are His household. What does the world have to do with what goes on right here? So there's a standard of conduct for God's standard bearer, the household of God. The household of God is the family of God, the realm where His glory dwells and where He communes with His people. And we're to understand that this is not our house. This is God's house. His house, His rules, His expectations. Psalm 100 verse 3, David writes, Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. See, God's authority over us gives Him the right and the responsibility to govern the church as He sees fit and to require behavior that befits the household of God. And that's how, what our conduct is based upon. The reality that this is His house, not ours. And just as a household has order to it, God's house has certain order as well. There's elders, there's deacons, there's members. And each of them have a standard of conduct. And it's not something that we make up as we go along. The second phrase that Paul uses referring to the church is, or to God's standard bearer, is the church of the living God. We would understand that to mean the people of God joined together as Christ's body, both universally, but then locally, like in Ephesus, to whom Paul was writing, or to Cherokee Baptist Church. But Paul specifically uses the word here in reference to the local church in Ephesus. And so by extension, because this is God's revealed word, Paul's instructions to Timothy for the church in Ephesus applies to all local churches, including ours. Because the church is the gathering where God most clearly manifests His presence among you. It's where He's known and worshipped. And that's why Paul calls it the church of the living God. To show that God is real and alive and present within the church. If you know your Old Testament history, um, living God is a word, a phrase, a term that is used throughout the Old Testament. And one that came to mind quickly when I was studying, and you probably remember this one. Saul was trying to get David ready to go out and, and, and face Goliath. And, and, and Saul was initially thinking, boy, I don't know what you're thinking because that dude is big and you're just small. And David said, listen, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. We are God's standard bearer as the church of the living God. Not dead orthodoxy, not dead doctrine. When Jesus asked the apostles at Caesarea Philippi, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, Matthew 16, verses 15 and 16. Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus responded, and actually that was verse 
in verse 18, Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. We are the standard bearer of God, the household of God, the church of not a dead Christ, but a living God. And the final phrase that Paul uses to describe God's standard bearer is a pillar, a pillar and support of the truth. Now, I think we understand what pillars are. Pillars are columns that hold up the roof of a building. Now, in the days in which Paul wrote, there was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world located in Ephesus. It was called the, the Great Temple of Artemis. And it was huge, 450 feet long, 220 feet wide, 120 towering columns, and each column was 60 feet tall, big enough to play a six-man football game. This thing was massive. And so you see all of those pillars there. So when Paul chooses the word pillar, the people there in in, in Timothy as well, they understand because this place was known for its pillars, its humongous columns. Paul says you are a, the church, God's standard bearer, is a, is a pillar in support of the truth. So how is it that the church is a pillar in support of the truth? Well, when he uses the word pillar, what he's getting at is just as a pillar holds up a roof, the church holds up the truth of the gospel. When people came into Ephesus, that temple was visible for miles. It was a prominent part of the city of Ephesus. You couldn't get around it. In the same way, the church is to hold up the truth of the gospel so that it is visible by all, so that people can't get around it. When Paul says that it's a support... um, we sing, and it's a part of our, our national anthem, the word ramparts. I don't know if you have ever stopped to, uh, to consider, what, what is a rampart? A rampart is simply a protective barrier. And the reason I say rampart is because support uh, can be translated rampart, bulwark, uh, buttress. It's, it's a lot of ways that it's translated. But it basically uh, re- points to the same thing. The support is a protective barrier, just like a rampart, which is a length of bank or wall that forms a defensive boundary around a castle or some other fortified site. And normally, it's wide at the top with a little wall so people can walk up and and down on it, and there's gaps in it. That wall is called a parapet, and people will fire arrows and whatnot uh, down through it. The church provides ramparts surrounding the gospel for protection. Let's understand something. Paul is not saying change the gospel. He's saying protect the gospel. Because there is false teaching going on in the church at Ephesus that is detracting from the work of Christ. It's getting people's eyes off of the good news of Jesus. This is why Paul is so adamant that the church would be a pillar in support of the truth. The truth of God's revelation in Himself, in Christ Jesus. So think of it this way. The church is to truth what pillars and supports are 
or ramparts are to a building. If the enemy overtops the wall, or if he's able to get past the support, bulwark, buttress, rampart, however you want to translate that, if the enemy is able to overtop that and get to the structure of the building, the pillars, then the building can be destroyed. Therefore, it is the task of the church to promote and protect the gospel. That's why Paul, he, he emphasizes why order is so important. There is a, a order and there is a standard of conduct for God's um, standard bearer. Because we are the ones who hold up the gospel to a watching world. And we know, don't we, that attacks are going to come? They always do. But it's only the church, it's only us that have been given the privilege of holding up the gospel. And if our lives substantiate, validate the truth of the gospel to a watching world, then it's no wonder that Paul says there is a standard of conduct for God's standard bearer. And that standard of conduct is based on a standard of truth. Notice what Paul says in verse 16. He says, by common confession. By common confession. That's where I get the the, the phrase based on a standard of truth. When Paul says, by common confession, in other translations it is translated most certainly. And we all agree. Beyond question, without question, without controversy, confessedly. In other words, Paul's saying, we have a standard of truth. There is a standard of conduct for God's standards, standard bears based on a standard of truth. Now then notice, Paul doesn't lay out, here's, what, here's the way that you act, X, Y, Z. He points us to Christ and he says, Great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. By great, Paul means it's remarkable. It's out of the ordinary. It sticks out like a sore thumb. By mystery, he's not saying it's something that needs to be figured out. He's saying that it's something that was hidden and has now been revealed. We've heard Paul say before, uh, use the word mystery. He did that with deacons. Verse 9, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, he says, the mystery of godliness. What he's saying is this. There is a standard of truth regarding godliness. A standard of conduct for God's standard bearer. And that standard of truth is not dead orthodoxy, but a living and powerful Christ. So that's what he describes in these next, in in these phrases, these six phrases. And I'm not going to take the time to walk through each of them, but I will sum them up. Likely, this is... a part of an ancient hymn or some sort of creed or confession. But the first three lines, and and scholars have have spilt lots of ink trying to figure out what is this, how how do you process what is being said here? And the one that I settled on that made the most sense to me was this. These first three lines, who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels. These refer to the mighty works of Christ in his incarnation, the fact that he took on human flesh, pre-existent son, eternal son of the Father, 
took on flesh. When it says he was vindicated in the spirit, I believe that that refers to his resurrection. He was vindicated that he lived a righteous life. He was vindicated that the reason that he died to bring us salvation, he truly did do that because he was raised. And seen by angels, I believe that means it's referring to his ascension, if you can think of Acts 1. But the final three lines describe the results of Christ's mighty work. He says, it, the last three, it says the first one, proclaimed among the nations. That's talking about the preaching. The result of, uh, one of the results of Christ's mighty works is that he was proclaimed. The second one was that people believed. He's believed on in the wor- world. And then the last one, taken up in glory. Um, I believe that refers to, and there's some that think that that's the ascension. Um, but I think that it refers to Christ's current reign and glory and how he receives glory from being proclaimed among the nations and believed on in the world. Now, others might interpret this hymn differently than I just did, and that's okay. But the key point is this. Godliness isn't religion or ceremony or ritual or worship or a standard of morality. Godliness is the result of the mighty works of Christ put on display in the church. It's what happens in the lives of believers when they are changed through a relationship with God through Christ. It isn't conformity to dead and lifeless rules, but conformity with the living Christ. When the living God dwells in the temple that He built for Himself, which is us, there are visible results. We have a standard of truth as God's standard, I'm sorry, we have a standard of conduct as God's standard bears based on a standard of truth. Now I want to show you what happens when the standard of truth shifts. Okay, I want you to pay attention here. Notice here, and this is funny because I think Paul has a sense of humor, but he also realizes uh, the Ephesian history. Remember, Paul has been to Ephesus before. And in Acts chapter 19, there was a time when people began to shout at him, not because he was demeaning their God, uh, Artemis, but because he was preaching the gospel. Many mighty signs and miracles were taking place. And people were starting to believe. And it was cutting into the business of those who made little golden shrines or silver shrines for the temple at, at Ar- of Artemis in Ephesus. And there were some people who began to rage, verse 28 says, and they began crying out saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now why do I highlight that in blue? Because Paul says, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. The Ephesians say this, but I say this. And notice how they also said in verse 36 of Acts chapter 19, So since these are undeniable facts, in other words, this is common confession. So since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. Now, this was the standard of truth that the people of, of this temple had, had given themselves. And here's the difference between us and saying that we have a standard of conduct based on a standard of truth in those people. Our God, our Christ, is a living God. I want to show you what the temple of Artemis looks like today. That is what the temple of Artemis looks like today. When the people shouted at Paul, they could shout as loud as they wanted to. It would not change the fact 
Christ is a living Christ. That Artemis was a dead idol. Now listen to this. If Paul had not told Timothy, listen Timothy, you contend for the faith. You contend for the household of God. The church at Ephesus could have wound up looking just like the temple of Artemis. You understand what I mean there? Let me give you a case in point. In Southern Baptist life, I am concerned that there may be some doctrine beginning to creep into the convention that if we don't stand up for the truth, if we don't protect and promote the gospel message, could come in and seek to destroy us to where we would go the way of other denominations and wind up looking like this right here. Just a ruins of what we once were. So how important it is for us, friends, to contend for the household of God, that this be a place of solid doctrine. Not my doctrine, this doctrine. That that doctrine translate itself into a standard of conduct because we are God's standard bearer to the world. No one else has that responsibility, just us. Now this is pretty heavy. And, but I, I want you to, to understand this. And I want to leave you with this because this is great news. Do you know why we won't go the way of the temple of, of Artemis? Because our God is a living God. Artemis was nothing. Christ is everything. And as long as we keep our eyes focused on Him, if our common confession is Christ, then the church will outlive 20 temples of Artemis and any other religion that seeks to depose God of who He is. Because we serve a living Christ. Father, thank you for this scripture. For our living Christ. We put our faith in Him. That what He has revealed in His Word is true. We put that into practice. Knowing that whatever goes on around us, however loud the world gets, raging at us, yelling it at us, They're raging in vain. We're on the good ground. But help us not to be prideful over that. Help us to be humble, to contend for the household of God so that we share the same missionary heart that Paul had. Wanting to be pure for the sake of our Savior, but also for a watching world who needs to hear the gospel. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand, we're going to sing Holy is the Lord. I encourage you, if there's any sort of decision you need to make in this time, to use this time for that. Otherwise, let's just worship together.
have a seat for a quick moment. I know I ran long. I apologize. Well, I don't really apologize. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. A few uh, announce a few prayer updates. Um, Sam is not with us this morning. Sam Center. Um, his he got a phone call on Wednesday night while we were in prayer meeting. Turns out um, his his brother-in-law passed away, and so we need to pray for. The, um, I, I don't. I don't remember. Uh, he just told me his sister's name. Her name's Diane Silva. So we need to pray for Diane Silva. Um, I don't really know any other updates. I mean, we talked this morning about in, in Deacon Prayer Time about um, a lot of people on our list, but uh, it's kind of nice to, in, in some ways, in a lot of ways, <laughs> to be able to say things are going well and, and we're hearing good things. Is there anything you, you need prayer for this morning? Well, I think we have a praise that, and I'm, I'm going to say it the way I believe it, God won the battle for life this last week. Amen. And I know that it's the Supreme Court that handed down the decision, but God won the battle. I mean, He can take the hearts of kings and turn them however He wants. And so I, I praise God for that. Um, we just need to continue to pray uh, because the battle's not over. Um, we also need to pray this week for our youth. Our youth are headed to camp. They're going down to around Corpus Christi. They're going to Camp Zephyr down at San, Sandia, Texas. So leave tomorrow morning at 8, get back. You were just nodding your head. I'm like, I spoke Friday. Okay, so pray for the youth and for their leaders this week. So it's you and Brandon and Brooke that are going. So, um, so pray for all those folks. Anything else before we... Pray together and say the Great Commission. All right, let's stand. We'll have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much again for who you are, for the great God that you are, for the living God that you are. Our world wants to, to, to shove so much into the face of every person, including us, saying that there is no God. That we can each do what we want. Lord, we've seen over and over um, how that results in a society that cannot sustain itself. So, Father, as we have heard this morning about how incumbent it is upon us to be your standard bearer, Lord, help us to do so. Lord, especially in light of this victory uh, over uh, overturning the road decision, we pray that uh, the church would take seriously uh, what, it's, what it's always done and what it continues to do in light of this, this victory. Lord, we, we pray for Sam, uh, for his sister, and the loss of her husband. Pray that in the days to come when they uh, celebrate his life, um, that it would be a good time. We pray that they would grieve not as those without hope, but those who have hope. And Lord, we do lift up our youth this week and pray your richest blessings upon them. We pray for your traveling mercies as they travel. At the time they spend together would be great fellowship. We pray if there are any that are going that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that, the de- that this week would be the week that their hearts are made new, that they put their faith and trust in Jesus and, and become a Christian. And so, God, we we pray for that. Uh, We just thank you for all that you've been doing through us. We thank you for a great week last week uh, with CenterKid and for the great stories that I've heard about that. And We continue to pray for those kids as they come home and they continue to process what they learned. Uh, Father, we're just so grateful to be your people, to be your household, to be your church, uh, to be the pillar and support of the truth. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
We'll see you tonight.